0: Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. Predicting the future is not easy, and almost no one has the street cred to do it. One of the people in the tiny pool that does is Rodney Brooks. He's a robotics pioneer who helped invent the Roomba vacuum cleaner, and he now creates robots that work in factories. He worries that the hype around how tech is going to change our lives is often just that, hype. Whether it's self-driving cars or robots that replace people at their jobs or rockets that are going to take tourists to the moon, the underlying science for these amazing advances can be kind of half-baked. And when the advances are a little bit closer to coming out of the oven, they have to collide with us, our attitudes, and our unpredictable world. A few years back, Brooks told me that when he and his colleagues created those round robotic vacuums, they were shocked to find that people would name them. One woman, he said, knitted clothes for her vacuum. It's a story that underlines the fact that tech does not just land on our doorstep. We've got to order it and we've got to interact with it. And when it comes to predicting the future, we could be the really tricky part of the equation. Rodney Brooks is here to offer us his vision of what's ahead. He co-founded iRobot, and he's the founder, chairman, and chief technology officer of Rethink Robotics. He's also a professor emeritus of robotics at MIT. Rodney, thanks for coming into the studio.
1: Thanks for having me here.
0: Do you remember telling me that story? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> um, You uh, wrote on your blog at the beginning of this year, and we will link to it at innovationhub.org, you you wrote about some predictions about when you think different technologies are actually going to change our lives or be integrated into the world that we live in. Why take a stab at predicting when different technologies will come to pass or be part of our lives?
1: Well, I think a lot of people are making decisions based on when they think certain technologies are coming. And I think a lot of the technologies have been overhyped uh, and are going to take a lot longer than people expect. And if we've got people making predictions, I, I saw that one city was uh, thinking about you know, bidding for the Amazon uh, headquarters sure. and thinking, well, we'll have Hyperloop connecting us to the coasts. And I was thinking, well, that's maybe not quite going to happen real soon. Right, 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 right. So I thought I would make some predictions, and everyone can make predictions. But if you put dates on them, then when those dates roll around, people say, you're right or you're wrong.
0: You know, I figured "I'll, I'll put it out there. You wrote, in my view, having ideas is easy. Turning them into reality is hard, and turning them into being deployed at scale is even harder. Talk about some of the leaps there, like between having the ideas and doing the thing and doing the thing and doing the thing big time.
1: Yeah, well, I I have a, a diagram I show uh, PhD students. You know, here's your PhD. I draw a little box, and then I make the box ten times bigger. I say, when you've done that much work, you're ready to get seed funding for your company. Then I make it ten times bigger again, and, and I say now you're now you're ready to scale into a real business. And then I make it ten times bigger again, and I say now you're starting to get the way you can think about profitability because everyone thinks the idea is the the hard part, but that's all the other stuff around it. Right, and I think many of the people who are making predictions about tech have got a little confused precisely because of this. Because we've had so much technology that has been relatively easy to deploy because it comes as code in our browsers. Hmm. And that's a really easy thing to roll out, code in a browser. It's almost zero cost to roll out a new version of code. But if it's an electric car, or it's a rocket, Mm -hmm. or it's Hyperloop, and involves physics and new physics and new technology, that's a lot slower to roll out. And I think we've gotten into this whole Moore's Law trap. Everything's Moore's Law. It's just going to come from faster and faster. For some things, yes. For services over the web, probably still Mm going to be faster. But for physical stuff in our daily lives, where there's capital cost, no. I don't know about you. The condo I live in is in a building that was built in 1905. Wow. So that stock, housing stock, is well over 100 years right, old. Right, right. Things take a long time to turn over in the physical world.
0: Well, and I also feel like you're saying that things for, that we understand already, like we kind of we get what a car is. You know, if I introduced a shirt that looked really crazy, people still know what a shirt is. They know how to put it on. They know how to wear it. But if we're talking about... You know, something like the Hyperloop where you're in this little I, – I, I mean, the Hyperloop is this idea that Elon Musk had of, of Tesla and SpaceX fame and that maybe would get people from San Francisco to L.A. or something. They basically put in some little capsule and shot, you know, <laughs> for, to L.A. from San Francisco and it would be great. It would be quick. But there's no infrastructure for that. you got to go from zero to 60 on that.
1: Right, Elon Musk, I think, is one of the two greatest entrepreneurs we have mm-hmm. in the world at the moment the um, other one being Jeff Bezos. Okay. But building electric cars yes is a lot of innovation but he didn't have to invent door handles, he didn't have to invent how the windows wind up and down. He didn't have to invent what the seals were, he didn't have to invent tires. All those things have been built for over 100 years. It's tremendous. Right. Knowledge. He didn't have to
0: uh, pave highways.
1: He didn't have to which Ford did. Ford right. actually was the one the guy who said we got to we got to have some paved mm-hmm. highways. Whereas Hyperloop We've never actually demonstrated it, even in a prototype. It's talking about moving humans made of flesh and blood at hundreds of miles an hour in a tunnel for hundreds of miles long underground. There's going to be a lot of things to figure out. How you load, how you unload, how people feel about being inside that little little capsule. There's going to be lots and lots and lots of things. It's not going to come as quickly as some people might think. Hmm.
0: Let's talk about self-driving cars, which in some ways I feel like there is an infrastructure. We get what a car is. We have streets to move around on. We know that they pick people. You know, We know how taxis work. So even if I was picked up by a car that didn't have a driver, I get the idea of like being picked up somewhere and being dropped off somewhere else. But you say that self-driving cars, like the idea of having a taxi service, an Uber, uh, a Lyft, any, you know, any kind of service like that, but that self-driving, it's going to be 15, 20 years before that happens. Talk about why you think that is. It's,
1: it's going to be 15 or 20 years in the general case easily. Right now, if you, you use a Lyft or, or an Uber… First of all you wave your phone at it so they know that you're the person. Right, right, Then it pulls over, maybe into a bus zone, certainly not into a legal parking zone, and you exchange words with the driver and you get in. Car companies who are building self-drive looking at self-driving technology are really careful about the law. I've talked to one of the major car companies. They said, Our car will never break a law. Well, they cannot drive in my neighborhood in Cambridgeport, any day of the week, without <laughs> crossing a double line. You cannot do it. You mm-hmm. cannot get around. Mm-hmm. Um about every three weeks, I need to drive the wrong way down a one-way street. It's the only way I can get past <laughs> whatever is blocking the road. Okay. Um, likewise, if we're going to stay legal, the cars are not going to be able to stop to pick up the passengers. So what we will see first is designated zones where you can be picked up by a mm-hmm. mobility as a service company, whoever it is. So it's not going to be just like it is today, except they're driverless. We have to bring in that new sort of infrastructure of where you can get picked up where you can get dropped off. Hmm. Now, what if you're in this self-driving car? Given the success of voice recognition over the last five years, it's gotten fantastically better. We're used to talking to the device in our kitchen, whether it be from Amazon or from Google. I'm guessing that we're going to have voice interaction in this mobility-as-a-service car. And what if um, in my neighborhood in Cambridgeport, there is suddenly a construction site and there's no way to go forward? Am I going to be able to tell the, the car, back up, drive the wrong way down this one-way street? Hmm. Well, maybe I can tell it. But what if I'm a 14-year-old kid that's being put in there by right. their mother right. on their way to soccer practice? Right. Is the
0: 14-year-old kid allowed to drive the self-driving car by telling her what to do? Or what if you've had a few drinks and you're not telling them something that's going to be right or, or helpful? Wha- or what if it's a
1: dementia patient mm-hmm. being put by the adult kids off to some event? So I think that the idea of the technology... We can sort of see how it works, but the implementation is going to be much slower and much more restrictive. And every time, every time there's some sort of accident or something goes not right, a dementia patient gets trapped in a Mm -hmm. self-driving car, say, it's going to make headlines. People are going to be very upset about it.
0: You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking with Rodney Brooks, a professor emeritus of robotics at MIT. He co-founded iRobot. He's the founder, chairman, and chief technology officer of Rethink Robotics. So your current company creates a robot that um, helps people in light manufacturing. I think it can fill boxes, right? Do repetitive tasks like that. And I feel like one recurring question, you've probably encountered it 10,000 times, is how many jobs will robots take? And it feels like over the past year or so, the discussion about artificial intelligence and machine learning and the ability for um, technology to take white collar jobs. Well, you know, we've seen obviously blue collar jobs both move overseas, but also factories are, have more robotics in them than they used to. This fear about you know machine learning and artificial intelligence has really escalated. Do you feel like that fear is justified?
1: Well, I think things are certainly happening, no no question about that. I think the predictions of how quickly we'll get certain capabilities are way overestimated. One thing that we're just terrible at with all our robots is dexterity. Hmm. We don't have dexterous robot hands. The hands that we sell on my robot look just like the robot hands that I used at Stanford University 40 years ago. Really? Um, I, I show in my talk. I show pictures of the two of them, and it's hard to tell which is which.
0: And you don't think we're on, like, the precipice of completely changing We are not on the that. precipice okay. at all.
1: Okay. Um, so. We're not good at dexterous stuff. We are good now at moving in straight lines, Mm -hmm. moving stuff around. So we see there was a Massachusetts company, Kiva Robotics, Mm -hmm. which uh, developed a way of moving shelves around in a fulfillment center to a person who used their hand to pick up the object. But the person didn't any longer have to run along the the aisle after aisle to get to the right object. Mm -hmm. The objects got brought in a whole shelf unit. Amazon bought that company. It's now called Amazon Robotics. It's many, many, many times bigger now than it was. It's being deployed in Amazon's fulfillment centers around the world. And Amazon is ramping up their employment of people to do the manual picking.
0: And right. they can't get
1: enough people. Right. Um, because
0: robots just aren't there yet. Robots can't do okay. that.
1: Okay. So, yes, as with every technology, there will be displacement of people current jobs, their jobs will change. For the people it happens to, it can be disastrous. It Mm -hmm. can be horrible. Mm -hmm. It can be threatening. But I I don't think we're at a point where, you know, many people say, oh, the job's going to be done by robots. We're a long, long way off from that. In fact, if you look at U.S. manufacturing, uh, which has, I think, 300,000 manufacturers in the U.S., many of the manufacturing sites are very worried because their population in their factories been there a long time. They're getting older. It's hard to get younger people in. And in fact, U.S. manufacturers and Chinese manufacturers are very worried about where they're going to get enough workers from.
0: How can we get better at predicting, at thinking through, for the average person, how long it's going to take for a new technology to really be part of our lives? Because I feel like there's, like I said, there's sort of media, there's reports all the time about something that feels like it's just around the corner, but from the way you think about things, not necessarily.
1: So many of the things that we see the hype about are still in the realm of science that hasn't been done yet. If the science hasn't been done yet, it means we don't know. We just cannot know how long it's going to take for a scientific breakthrough. If it hasn't been even done at all, then it's going to take a long time if we don't know the science of how to do it. If we've had a lab demo, my rule of thumb for robotics is 30 years.
0: 30 years from when it gets demoed.
1: Do you know when I first saw a (laughs) car drive along a freeway at 55 miles an hour for over 10 miles driverless? No. 1987.
0: Really? Near Munich. Okay. (laughs)
1: Um, When do you think the first car will drive across the country uh, hands-free, feet-free?
0: I don't know. I thought there was a Google car that drove across the country, but maybe it had a a minder in it or something.
1: Oh, With a a minder. Okay. when, When do you think? I don't know. It happened in 1995.
0: 1995, okay. It, so was, was, a...
1: it was Carnegie Mellon okay, University. Okay. So the first one is 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. next one is over 20 years ago. These things take a long time, and people who are just waking up say, oh, you can drive along a freeway now. They think, oh, it's all solved. No, we're already 30 years in on right, self-driving right. cars. People have been working on actively right. for 30 years.
0: Hmm. Is there a technology out there that you think the other way about, where you're, you think it may be more imminent Than we may believe it to be.
1: Oh, I wish I knew. Okay. You know, I'll give you an example of one that just snuck up on us, wham, and that is um, being able to talk to our machines. Hmm. Five years ago, I don't think anyone imagined we could have. Such good speech recognition, especially in noisy environments, as you see on the Amazon Echo, Alexa, right. or you see on Google Home. Right. Snuck up on us totally. People were not predicting it was going to get that good that quickly. And now it's deployed.
0: So that's something where, like, in the 80s and 90s, people were not doing demos of it.
1: Um, I used to say in the early zips you know 2002 to 2003 about speech recognition i'd say yeah it's sort of like say or press two for frustration (laughs) in fact i had i had a speech controlled office from around 2001 to 2003 where everything was under speech control and it was hard work to use Mm. my office but Mm. i thought i gotta live this i gotta do it it was hard hard work and now today poof just works.
0: So we will have you back in like 20, 30 years and see how this all shook out. Does that sound good? That's a deal. All right. Rodney Brooks is Professor Emeritus of Robotics at MIT. He co founded iRobot. He's the founder, chairman, and chief technology officer of Rethink Robotics. Rodney, thank you so much. Thank you. website, we've got Rodney Brooks' personal story of a childhood spent in Australia loving space and science fiction, and he talks about the thrill he got when he first saw the computer HAL in 2001, A Space Odyssey.
1: It was a murdering psychopath, but apart (laughs) from that, it was fantastic.
0: If you felt like this interview broadened your mind a little, maybe changed your perspective, or even made you just go, huh, that was interesting, take a minute to leave us a review on iTunes. It'll help more people find their way to our show. Plus, we will be indebted to you, and someday that karma is coming right back at you.